Welcome to the Life on Word podcast. I'm the host, Bailey Brown. Through this podcast, I hope you fall more in love with God's Word as it is properly understood. If you want to dig deeper into Scripture and see the big picture of God's story, you are in the right place. In these episodes, I want you to see how deep and wide Scripture is and what a joy it is to study God's Word. Life on Word exists to encourage you to build all of your life on the Word of God because it is the only worthy foundation. For more resources relating to studying the Bible, theology, and discipleship, check out baileylbrown.com. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Life on Word. Today we're going to continue going through Matthew chapter 22. In previous episodes, we've recently covered three parables that Jesus gave to the religious leaders in the temple that all pointed to the judgment they would face because of how they have rejected Jesus. This is followed by four different confrontations Jesus has in the temple with various religious groups. We will cover two of these today, including a debate about paying taxes and a debate about the doctrine of resurrection. I will begin reading starting in verse 15 and go through verse 33. With that, I'll get started. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. The same day, Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So we began chapter 22 in the last episode with Jesus's parable of the wedding feast for the king's son. 
Remember that all three of the parables Jesus gave in the last couple of chapters have really been pronouncements of judgment on the leadership of Israel for how they have rejected him and his message. After Jesus told these parables, the Pharisees left to go plan how they could catch Jesus in a trap. They decide to send their disciples to ask Jesus a question, which leads to the first of four confrontations that Jesus has in the temple. In each debate, the religious leaders are wanting to find something about Jesus that they can report to the Roman authorities to have him done away with. In this first debate, the disciples of the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, come to Jesus to ask him about taxes, which were a very touchy subject during this time. For background, the disciples of the Pharisees would have been those who were in training to be fully initiated into the brotherhood of the Pharisees. They would have had the same commitment to the oral law that the Pharisees had, as well as a determination to rigorously keep the law and practice their traditions. The Herodians, on the other hand, were people who supported the Herod family. We've talked quite a bit about this family throughout Matthew. It was Herod the Great who sought to kill Jesus as a toddler, and Herod Antipas, his son, who killed John the Baptist. Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee at this time as the leader that the Roman authorities had put in place. The Herodians, then, were people who were likely interested in the advancement of Herod's economic and political influence in Israel. Even though the Pharisees and their disciples and the Herodians would have disagreed on many issues of life in Israel, they had come together to be a common threat before Jesus. So the Pharisees' disciples come up to Jesus at first to flatter him by saying that they know he is truthful and he faithfully teaches the way of God and that he is not swayed by others' opinions. They then produce a coin and ask Jesus whether it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Now, at first glance, this may seem like a simple question to us, but we need to know some background about the issue to understand exactly what they are trying to do here. The coin that they gave to Jesus had a picture of Caesar on it, and its inscription named Caesar both the Son of God and the High Priest. You could immediately see that this would be a problem for any loyal Jew to carry. Not only are they unwillingly being ruled over by the Romans, but the idea of Caesar being a god himself goes against everything they strongly believe in. But to make matters worse, the Jews were suffering immensely under the heavy taxes they were required to pay. They had to pay taxes to the Roman authorities, which was done through paying the Herod dynasty. It just so happened that Herod could tax more than required to fatten up his own pocket. On top of this, the Jews also paid taxes to the Jewish religious authorities for the temple and other related expenses. Scholars have estimated that about 49% of a Jewish family's income went directly to paying all these taxes. So you can imagine how burdened they are by these circumstances. The Pharisees and Herodians ask this question then to trick Jesus. If he says that it is right to pay taxes to Caesar, he will lose favor with the Jewish people who are struggling to make ends meet as a result of all the taxes they are having to pay. But on the flip side, if Jesus says it is not right to pay taxes, the Pharisees and Herodians can use this against him and report him to Roman authorities for being a rebel and going against Roman law. Jesus gives them an incredible response that makes it evident that he sees through their ploy. He tells them to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar 
and give to God what belongs to God. This isn't just a way to wiggle out of their riddle, but rather makes a point about how he is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. What he says is further proof that he has not come with a military or political interest. As the Messiah, he is not trying to overthrow Caesar. He has indeed brought the kingdom of God down to earth, but until his second coming, this kingdom will coexist with the existing political orders. Followers of Jesus will have to continue to be part of both God's kingdom as they seek to further it in their lives, while also being citizens of whatever man-made kingdoms there are on earth. Being members of the kingdom of God will of course be vastly more important and will guide people in how to live and navigate the worldly powers that be. And a couple more things to note here. First, Jesus wasn't providing a framework for all of time that explains the proper relationship between God and political authority. We shouldn't take his statement here out of context and map it into our own individual context, giving us ideas of our own allegiance to worldly governments. Instead, we should see that Jesus is making a specific point. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, but they likely walked away questioning his words. Had they truly given to God what was rightly his? Or did they mostly talk a big talk, appearing to live a clean life before God, yet having unclean insides? Second, Jesus could have easily said something here to speed up the process to getting him on the cross. He knew that the crucifixion lied ahead for him. But if he had said something here to get himself arrested, people could have seen him as trying to be a revolutionary in terms of political agendas. Instead, Jesus wants to make it clear that the kingdom of God is not just about overthrowing Caesar's kingdom, but rather the empire of death itself. This first debate ended with the Pharisees and Herodians leaving him, but then the Sadducees stepped up for their shot. One important thing to know about the Sadducees is that they only viewed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, as authoritative. All their doctrine was drawn from these five books, but not from the rest of the Old Testament. As such, they did not believe in resurrection, which is a doctrine developed later in the Old Testament, such as in Isaiah and Daniel. But interestingly, this is what they ask Jesus about in this second debate. They ask him about a woman who ends up marrying seven brothers. One would pass away, so she would marry the next youngest in order to try to further the family line. Their question was which of the brothers would the woman belong to in the resurrection? You can see how this wasn't a realistic story, but rather a highly unlikely scenario they could use in their theological trap for Jesus. The background for their question is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, which gives instructions on furthering the family line when a husband passes away. This was an important passage for the Israelites because God had made promises to them about the continuation of their seed or family as his chosen people. In asking this question, the Sadducees want to show that Jesus was not fit to be a theological leader and had no right to challenge their authority. Their question is hypocritical, though, because they don't even believe in resurrection themselves. Once again, Jesus knows exactly how to respond. First, he says you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He is rebuking them here for not recognizing all of the Old Testament as authoritative. If they did this, they would see that the doctrine of resurrection is valid. 
Rather than the Sadducees showing the fault in Jesus' theology, he revealed the fault in theirs instead. Jesus then addresses their specific question about marriage by stating that people will not marry in the resurrection, comparing resurrected humans to angels, something else the Sadducees did not believe in. Jesus further develops this argument by quoting Exodus 3.6, a book the Sadducees did see as authoritative. He states, Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. What he is pointing to is the present tense used in this verse. Even though these three men have died, God continues in a relationship with them. He continues to be their God even though their physical bodies are no more. He cannot be someone's God in the present tense if that person no longer exists. Matthew records the conclusion of this debate with the statement that when the crowd heard what Jesus had said, they were astonished. We've seen this reaction to Jesus' teaching throughout his ministry, such as after the Sermon on the Mount and after he taught in the synagogue in Nazareth. And as we've seen in these other occurrences, amazement does not mean loyalty or devotion to Jesus. These people are amazed now, but this does not come from a place of faith. The crowds will soon willingly side with the religious leaders and request for Jesus to be killed. Okay, we've made it through the first two confrontations Jesus has in the temple, so we will wrap up and look at some application. In the first confrontation with the Herodians and disciples of the Pharisees, Jesus was asked whether people should be paying taxes to Caesar. In Jesus' response, he said to give to Caesar what is due him and do the same to God. What Jesus wants his listeners to understand is not that one should separate their religious life from their life as a citizen of the Roman Empire, but rather the opposite. To give to God what belongs to him is to give him everything. When we give all of ourselves to God, we then let this allegiance to him guide us in all aspects of our lives. For example, as Christ followers, we should let our commitment to God inform how we engage in politics, in our culture, and in our communities. To give God everything is to allow yourself to be a vessel so that God can make himself known in all of these arenas through you. If we are more passionate about our political leanings or what we like or dislike about this cultural moment than we are about following God and making his name known, then we have a problem that is worth addressing. Second, in the debate with the Sadducees, Jesus was up against a group of men that did not believe in the resurrection. The traditional Christian view of resurrection gives us great hope as we put our trust in Jesus and have confidence that we will live forever with him. For the Christian, the physical death at the end of one's life is just the beginning. Think about how this truth should fuel you to make the most of your current time here on earth, doing what you can to further the kingdom of God, eager to see how He is working in the world. Today we continued our study of Matthew chapter 22. We read of Jesus' first two confrontations or debates with the Pharisees' disciples and the Herodians, and then with the Sadducees. The Pharisees' disciples and the Herodians were concerned about whether it was right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And then the Sadducees asked a question about resurrection, even though they didn't believe in resurrection themselves. 
In the next episode, we will read of the confrontation Jesus has with an expert of the law about the greatest commandment. And then in the final debate, we will see Jesus talk with the gathered crowds about the identity of the Messiah in relation to King David. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review. Check out the episode description to see the source materials I studied for this episode. Until next time.